This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, January 29th. 2022 such an exciting day such a great day such a day that will go down in legends forever and i will tell you why would you like to know why door and all i'm at the edge of my seat I forgot oh to pop popcorn. I need to know. Uh, I went and saw the new Scream. Why? I went and saw the new Scream. Why? Why? Because uh, I really, really, really thought it would be good. Mm. Do you Hold think on. I'm lying? Hold on. My sarcasmometer's beeping. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to do a very, very brief review because we've got a guest in the wings who is waiting to come on that we promised people and we're kind of a little, well, uh, so anyways, I went and saw the new Scream and you know what January's for, right? For movies, right? Mm-hmm. Dump yeah, the trash. Dump the trash. It's trash dumping month. Every movie that they think isn't any good, they want to make money from. They dump in January. And I'm happy to tell you, folks, that Scream, it, it, it does not buck the trend. <laughs> it, it does not subvert your expectations, all right? If you were holding on to that hope that this would somehow be the exception to the January rule, it, it is not. I will tell you what it reminds me of. Do you remember how The Force Awakens was a remake of Star Wars? Sure. And then The Matrix, uh, Revolutions, or Reawakening, or Remakes, or Reimagining. What was that called? Resurrections. Resurrections. There we go. How that was a, a remake of the very first Matrix movie? Sure. Now, if you're good at pattern recognition, well, I mean, you can... I need three. I need three or four in a row to actually recognize a pattern. Two is just a see... coincidence. Yeah, you can see where I'm going with this. Yeah, Scream, the the fifth one, technically Scream Five. They're just calling it Scream, is a remake, or what we're calling a soft reboot, of the very first Scream. Literally, in the very first scream, you had a group of five friends, one of whom, you know, was a couple who were dating and yada, yada, yada. Yes, it is a remake of the very first scream. And like all these soft reboots we saw before, it has lots and lots of callbacks to the original scream. And because in the Scream movies, they have the Stab movies as an in-world horror movie series that, re that made the events of the Scream thing, Stabber, serial killers, 
they can actually refer to the stab movies as things that happen and refer to the stab things as tropes. And they talk about the stab movies all the time and how to survive a stab movie. And, and they even bring back Deputy Dewey and Gail Weathers and Sidney Prescott. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good movie. I think Jeffro said he liked it, and, and I'm, I just want to say, shame, shame, shame. <laughs> it, it, was, it was not a good movie. I did not enjoy it. I have seen far, far worse movies, mind you. So, but then again, as we have established before, my standards for worst movies have been set because I have seen really, really bad movies. This was, it fell flat. Just like all these other modern movies, none of the people were written like real people. They didn't sound like real people. They didn't talk like real people. And I'm not even talking like horror movies where you're like, no, you wouldn't go in the basement, you idiot. No real person would do that. I'm not even talking about the baseline standards for horror movies. I'm talking about the standards set by like the Matrix Revolutions where they stand there and talk. And it's like you could see where the person writing the script had maybe heard of real people and had them described to them at one point in time, but had never actually met any real people in their life. Um and didn't really know how to how to implement a real person. So yeah, that's what Scream was. I'm not going to take any more time describing it because it was a bad movie. And I put like this mental limit of five minutes and I'm one minute away from that. Um, I didn't enjoy it. And I love the other Scream movies. I even liked Four. And Four was pretty much the definition of an unnecessary sequel. But at least it was a decent sequel. Um, I didn't live up to the other three, but it was all right. Not great, but all right. And then this movie was, was not even all right. It didn't even live up to the standards of all right. And, and talking about characters who return, they had, uh, Jamie Kennedy played the super smart guy who worked in the video store in the very first movie, who knew all about horror movies and told people how to survive. And his sister shows up in Scream 3 to bring the videotape so he can inform them. She comes back in this movie. So when I back. tell you, yeah, they they really scraped the, bar <laughs> the barrel of, of bringing back characters. They really went all out to try and find people to bring back for this movie. <laughs> my, only advice, my only advice to people who want to subject themselves to that kind of bad horror movie, just... Go watch Birdemic. If you haven't seen it, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. And then and every time you catch something, you'd say, I, I've seen worse. I've seen Birdemic. Yeah. It's sad. Because the Scream movie set a, a, a bar of quality that... Uh, I don't know. I'm done. I'm moving on. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. My week was good. Uh, not much to say. Uh, me and the fam have been slamming games of Wingspan. Uh, fantastic board game. Uh, we've been playing on the computer, on Steam, and in person at the table pretty much nonstop all week. Got a lot of games of that in. I highly recommend it. It's a it's a really fun 
uh, game. Lots of strategy involved, but the real draw is the game is mostly made up of a deck of cards, and each card is a different bird. And these are real birds with illustrations that you would find in a an almanac or a bird watcher's guide. Really beautiful hand-drawn illustrations of each bird with a little bit of facts about the bird. And, and the facts actually play into the game. <clears throat> you know, for example, you might have a raptor who, yeah, if you draw a card from the deck and it has a small wingspan, like as a small bird, the raptor will prey on that bird and you'll get some points, right? Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into more depth than that, but it's really addictive. Uh, the variance is very high with the something a couple hundred cards, all these different birds. It's a different game every time. I can't recommend it more. So that's all that's been going on in my world. Well, I'll tell you how my week went. I saw a scream. Oh, no. You've already had your five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So we have a guest who hasn't been on the show in over two years, which is a tragedy. It is. It is. Welcome back, Nicole. Hey, I am so happy to be here, guys. This is so cool. We were actually just talking right before the show started, trying to figure out, man, how long has it been? I've got a timestamp in my my chat program that I've used to contact my my secret access to uh, Nick. Uh, I've got December 14, 2019. That's that's how long it's been, and it's been way too long. Yeah, the world was a different place. Now it is a uh, is it a it is a burgeoning utopia dis disutopia and. I'm excited to play for the high score. May the odds <laughs> be in your favor. So <laughs> I'm with you. I, I want to say this real quick because dysutopia here. I went to shop for some bars of zest at Walmart and they had one package of eight bars of zest, nothing other on the shelf. So we have this, you know, they're calling it a supply chain, whatever. And in the middle of the supply chain, whatever, we're stopping Canadian truckers from coming over the border and Mexican truckers from coming over the border. Uh, and that's not racist because I'm not talking about, quote unquote, Hispanic truckers. I'm talking about literal truckers driving from the country of Mexico. But illegal immigrants can come over all they want without being vaccinated. It's It's not just a dystopia. It's like the most satirical dystopia you could ever dream up. And I don't want to talk about it because we don't do politics on the show, but I just, I can't wrap my head around how satirical reality has become. Reality has become more satirical. It is better at satirizing reality than the best satiricist I've ever read. And I don't know how that happened. When did that happen? I didn't get the memo. That reality was now going to become a satire of reality. It, it I, wasn't. I know when it happened. I've, 2014, I said, is that what you're going to say? <laughs> no, I, I called it on the show. It happened It happened in 2016. Cubs won the World Series. That was it. It's oh, all over. That's right. We did that last week, didn't we? Mm. Dang it. I was paying attention. The, the Cubs me. violated the time-space continu continuum and collapsed the sanity underpinnings of Western civilization. And what Absolutely. we have since 
is cats living with dogs total anarchy? Ab- absolutely. Some say it was Harambe, but I, I think that's a red herring. I think it's I think it was the Cubs. Um, so in our in our crazy new reality, uh, Nick, what's new? Uh, let's see. Just cranking in everything out over at Galaxy's Edge. Started a new uh, imprint. Uh, publishing imprint where we're publishing other authors in our sort of Wargate genre, and that's called Wargate Publishing aptly. And the Wargate genre launched with a series called Forgotten Ruin, which is basically U.S. Army Rangers running around D&D with Carl Gustafs and M240 Bravo um, crew-served weapons and, and, and basically going for their own personal high score. The uh, tenets of Wargate the Wargate genre are three. Um, you must have a modern military unit. That's one. Two is you must have a fantasy setting. You could do anything from John Carter's Mars to Valhalla to uh, Discworld, Ringworld, whatever. You know, you're kind of riffing on it. You're not actually actually using that IP. And then the third uh, element in the Wargate tri- trifecta, shall we call it, is uh, what we call the perpetual taco machine. And the perpetual taco machine is is a is a three D printer on crack, and if you're a hard science person who basically gets upset that uh, you know lasers go boo boo in space and all that kind of stuff, then this genre is not for you. It's basically people just having fun, and the taco machine allows the U.S. Army Rangers to uh, have a lot of Carl uh, uh, Gustav rounds and seven six two and five five six and print out all kinds of crazy weapons. That they have so that they can go dungeon delving or kill a dragon like they did in uh, in um, violence of action or go after a Medusa Citadel like they did in Lay the Hate or encounter, um, well, we won't call them drow, we'll call them lost elves like they did in the latest one, Book of Joe. So it's just a lot of fun. It's basically a modern military unit, flip through the, 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 the D&D monster manual, pick a race. And then have the Rangers go whale on those monsters. Okay. That that sounds like fun. You know what? People have dug it. It is fun. It's, it's like right now it's, it's a moneymaker. It's kind of fun. PL Nealon, Peter Nealon, who we had on the show once before. Yes, sir. um, The great Peter Nealon. I like to say. Just uh, released a book. uh, He's our first Wargate author. Uh, and it's on sale still right now on Amazon for ninety. I think I think tonight at midnight is it. If you don't get Ice and Monsters right now, you have missed the boat, and you will pay full price when Larry Korea talks about it on Monday. So uh, we'll drop a link to it in the description. Oh, and, please! Uh, you can check that out for ninety nine cents until midnight tonight. Yeah, Peter's great people, and he um, basically his his background is recon marine. And so he took some recon Marines and he basically sent them into Finnish, Finnish and Norwegian uh, mythology. And let me just say that hilarity ensues. No, Holy it's actually, cow. it's actually pretty, it's actually a pretty grim uh, tale of survival and killing sea trolls. And I think you will like it. It's good. I, what was the name of that one again? Ice and monsters. Ice and monsters. I like it. Ice and monsters. You're looking that up right now, aren't you? Sure am. Yeah. You beat me to it. Collect them all. Here. Collect them all. I put Ice. a P.L. Meelan into Amazon, and it gave me a page of uh, shampoo. 
And then you asked for the name of the book, and I'm like, damn it, he's going to get it before me. Yeah. Oh, I just quit. You beat I'm, me. <laughs> I'm going to put that Amazon page. I'm going to put that on screen for anybody watching on YouTube. This is this is cool. Uh, yeah. I love this idea. I Can you tell me, because uh, it doesn't make sense to I me. Mean, we had a question chat. Wargate, is that what you're, what you're calling it? And what does that mean? Um, Where's that from? War, Wargate is basically, it just means like, you know, in, in Forgotten Ruin, um, what is happening to the world is it's experiencing a nanoplague. And that nanoplague is actually destroying all modern technology and wiping everything out. And so the big brains at Area 51, they say, you know what? Let's take all our special operators and let's send them through a QST quantum uh, signal gate and basically fling them into the future. And, and we're going to only fling them about two years into the future when the plague fades. And then these, you know, special operators, they will restart human civilization. This is Forgotten Ruin. Ice and Monsters has more of a, a Stephen King finney that they go through. Um, the mechanism of how they end up in a fantasy world isn't really like a, a super big important thing. It's just like, hey, we've got to get them into this fantasy world. But right there in Forgotten Ruin, um, they go, they're, they're only supposed to go two years into the future, but up. You know, it's like it, you don't it, quantum singularity. You don't really know what's going to happen. They end up 10,000 years in the future and the world has gone all token. And they're basically they're in the savage lands, which is basically France. And they get involved uh, fighting an orc horde to fight for their lives. So Wargate comes from, you know, it's war, modern military units. And then the gate, you're going to go through gate and you're going to end up in a fantastic world. Another one of our authors will be debuting in about two months. And that's Doc Spears, who wrote in the Galaxy's Edge series, the Dark Operator series. He actually is doing an outstanding uh, series that is basically um, a special forces team, which Doc was special forces. And um, he is going to uh, go to basically, in effect, a John Carter style Mars. So very fantastic Mars, very brutal, very savage. And then the really cool and the writing is outstanding. And then the really cool big get was that for that is we actually got Frank Frazetta's disciple, um, this guy. And he is doing... Um, a Frazetta style cover and it's, it's pretty, pretty damn beautiful. Actually. Um, we had to, we had to PG it up a little from its initial things, but, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful cover. So, um, that's, that's Wargate and, 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 and what is Wargate? Uh, like you guys don't do politics on, on this channel, you know, but those things are there and everything like that. What my partner and I, Jason Anspot kind of decided is that People just really want to have fun. If they want a sermon, they'll go to church. And it's kind of a policy we have at Galaxy's Edge. We just we just want to entertain people. And, you know, the Galaxy's Edge series is very much Star Wars meets G.I. Joe. And the Wargate series you is... You know, over there? The Wargate uh, series is basically, um, you know, studs whacking monsters and getting the occasional hot elf chick. Good, clean fun. Yeah, just fun. Doesn't everybody just want a little fun? Isn't everybody tired of fear and you're all going to die in supply chain and come on, Joe? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like yeah. those old, uh, you know, the, the renaissance of the old 80s style action movies. You just, you just want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger mugging for the camera, saying stupid one-liners and shooting bad guys. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're doing. And, 
And I'd like to think that, you know, because we're writers who really care and, and want to be good writers, that we do try to bring, you know, maybe sometimes an overheated literary Hemingway S aspect to it. But at the end of the day, if you've ever shot an automatic weapon, it's a lot of fun. And this is the literary equivalent of that. But you get to uh that's a great one <laughs> you get you know like one of the uh, like the over over at the galaxy's edge forgotten ruin uh, group on facebook they, they there's a there's a line in forgotten ruin where this uh, saw gunner um their position is getting pushed by a hill giant when the orcs have a hill giant is they're heavy and they're crossing this river and everything like that and the saw gunner can't can't waste the hill giant so he grabs the Carl Gustav recoilless rifle and just vapes it right there. It just blows off the half the side of its face and it just collapses over in the river in a big steaming pile of mess. And, and the orcs like, oh shit, we lost our heavy retreat. You know, they take off like that. And the gunner turns around and he goes, hey, Carl G don't care. And now that's like, <laughs> that's become a, a shirt, a meme and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's very much, um, it's very much like, like, Predator was probably like if you like if you were a kid like me and your friend said, hey, we're going to the movies on Saturday and you're just happy to be with people because that's how I was. And I had no idea what Predator was. And then you walk in and you see all these great dudes and they're, you know, going through the jungles of Latin America. And then suddenly there's this monster and everything like that. That is the that that is that I think that's like what we're doing in these books. And, it, and it's pretty at the end of the day, it's it's really fun at the beginning of the day, too. So we're having all we're doing is having fun. You want to have fun? Go read Ice and Monsters. Go read Forgotten Ruin. Um, uh, uh, Doc Spears, uh, John Carter series is called Warlord. And we've got about three to four more series coming online. Um, the great Dungeons and Dragons uh, designer, uh, Gary Gygax's disciple, Jim Ward, he partnered with uh, one of our authors, J.R. Handley. And they're basically writing a uh, striker unit going up against uh, the D&D module written by Tracy Hickman, Pharaoh. So it feels very much like that. So that'll be, <laughs> that'll be kind of fun. It won't be kind of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. Heck yeah. Yeah. So that's I what we're doing. Does this sound intriguing? Go to Wargate Books and sign up and you will be on an email list and you will get all these things. Or, you know, maybe we can funnel the authors over here to Geek Gab and they can they can download all their deranged stories of using modern modern kinetic weaponry on uh, orcs and mermaids. I, I like it's fun. In one in in um, lay the hate, the rangers have to uh, come ashore in North Africa, which is called the Lost Coast now. And there's a Medusa citadel there, and um, the mermaids that are in the water, like we all you know, like we all in modern thing, like oh our little girls want to be mermaids and everything like that. Well, I went back to the roots where, you know, mermaids were kind of like vampires in the water and they almost smoke their fair share of rangers, you know, with their songs and their vampire teeth and their womanly charms. <laughs> it's always womanly from the, for, for the top half. Yes. And then the bottom half, you're like, Oh, whoa, whoa, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> mermaids I, uh, just want to hug under the water where you can't breathe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I made it my goal to finish the last book of Forgotten Ruin before we started the show today. Yes. And uh, so I was supposed to do it yesterday and then I had stuff happen yesterday and I was going to finish it today. And then I had a bunch of stuff happen this morning. And, and so I'm only 66% through the book of Joe. 
Yes. I had to stop right in the middle of the battle in the library. Oh, that, that, you know what? I really like that because I was finally allowed to do what had really, you know, like I like playing with the modern weapons, the modern military units, but the reality is, is, you know, the Rangers are now in a, in a, the equivalent of a bronze iron age civilization. And so they run into the Akkadian legionnaires, which are basically Rome, Roman centurions. They have an interesting captain as their leader. And it was now finally time to use, um, old school, big battle, uh, bronze age scrum type tactics. And I really enjoyed writing that scene, which is, is really a lot about, you know, the dance movement of line infantry, shield infantry, spears, you know, and as a, as a war leader, man, managing all those things, um, when you've got these sort of like savage lost elves, you know, screaming out of the desert in these suicide attacks and they're riding, um, their heavies are mounted spiders with sort of like the old, old kind of like Hannibal style elephant. That's how big these spiders are. And they've got, you know, two archers and spear throwers up there and they're having fun. And there's only two Rangers in the book of Joe because of the incidents of the book before. And so those, those two Rangers kind of like, they have to jump in and help the Roman centurions and sort of like hold the line. And so like that, like that took it to a whole new fun level. And then, and then later the centurions get some fun toys to play with, but I won't ruin that for daddy war pig. I also want to say that without spoiling anything for the audience, uh, the tactic the suicide elves are using, um, I thought was fabulous. As soon as, uh, as soon as that came up, uh, in the scene, I was like, Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I love how it plays out. Um, so I just, I, I found that, uh, I found that neat. Yeah. Tactic tactics in the forgotten ruin series and in Wargate in general are, are, are really important. And that's why a lot of the writers have military experience. And so it, it's an interesting thing because you set yourself a problem when you write these books, you know, step away from the fact that you have Rangers. If you, if you just have the modern, you know, infantry unit, a platoon, as demonstrated kind of in the movie platoon, they carry an incredible amount of firepower for 19 to, to 30 year olds or 26 year olds. And, and then you bring in Rangers who, who, who have, um, an almost obsessive love of, 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 uh, explosives and the tactics and things like that. And, and, you know, suddenly them fighting orcs, especially if they have like two, 240 Bravo machine guns that you can start talking and then they have claymores and they have new, new smart claymores now. And then you have the support of the recoilless rifle and you have a bunch of guys with M320 grenade launchers and everybody's got, you know, an M, uh, an MK, a Mark 18 carbine and all these kinds of things. Like this is a very powerful force. Um, even if they've got mortar support and, and possibly they've even got some drone support and stuff like that. So the fun thing then in the Forgotten Ruin series is taking your monsters and organizing them militarily because you know what? They've been surviving. And in and, and Forgotten Ruin, humanity is pushed back to just a few cities and they hug the coast. Most of the world is now ruled by large tribes of monsters, trolls, ogres, you know, uh, lost elves, all these kinds of things. And um, undead. Yeah, undead and things like that. And so you've got to give those guys tactics that compete. And the first thing in the Forgotten Ruin is you learn is that like 
you know, you, you can have two, two forty Bravo machine guns talking back and forth and laying an excessive amount of traversing and plunging fire and all that kind of stuff. But the orcs are a savage warrior culture that would probably make Spartans look like wimps and, and the orcs don't understand, you know, uh, gunfire. They just know that their guys are dropping and they're all, you know, worked up either on some kind of leaf that they're chewing or orc Valhalla. And they're going to, they're going to push through and they've got 5,000 buddies. Well, your, your 240, you know, Bravo is going to go forbidden popsicle and the barrel is going to start to glow after 600 rounds. So you're not even, you're not even, you know, a quarter of the way to, to wasting an orc horde of 5,000. So now, you know, like you've got to give, you've got to give the monsters some fun tactics to fight, to fight the, uh, the, the modern military units and that's that's kind of it's like when you're writing it it's kind of like a little fun game of chess sorry i was on mute for a second because i've been dying ever since you said forbidden popsicle <laughs> <laughs> and i knew exactly what you were talking about <laughs> when your barrel goes forbidden popsicle you got problems <laughs> you should have barrel changed <laughs> Um, I had a question and... about. Well, my question can wait. DW, go ahead. Oh, I was about to. If you're going to ask a question about Forgotten Ruin, you better go now because I'm about yeah. to roughly change the subject. About Forgotten Ruin and uh, Wargate in general, uh, you and the all the other authors authors have a lot of military experience, and of course, that's what you're known for. That really. You know, from experience, uh, accurate uh, descriptions of these people, their units, their weapons and tactics and everything like that. Is that something that you're going to stick to? Uh, is that one another um, spoken or unspoken uh, tenant or requirement of the Wargate uh, imprint? Are, are, you, are you ready to guarantee that you're going to get high quality um, military or, or accurate uh, stories and descriptions from yeah i mean i mean that's that's a tenant really of ge and it's a tenant of jason ansbach and i and we're very we're very pro veteran and getting veterans um um involved in, in in writing because we see it's great for them on, on a lot of levels and a lot of them have a lot of great stories to tell and our but our audience has served we had, we had a world war guy to a world war ii guy who read our books we have korean guys we have vietnam vet guys we have Cold War guys like myself. We have GWAT guys and things like that. And and it's there's a few things that happen. Like one thing, you're you're always going to get veterans who discount, or you're going to get readers who who like you know discount your experience because they have a minimal amount of knowledge or very specialized knowledge, and they're going to say, "Oh, you obviously don't know what you're talking about." But the reality is, is if you look at the vast reader base of galaxy's edge and forgotten ruin it's a lot of people who come for the authenticity having said that even myself you know who served in a line infantry unit and things like that a million years ago it's funny when i will write things be and and so the way that we keep um the way that we keep ourselves honest and the way that we keep ourselves technically accurate is um in the Forgotten Ruin series, we have three actual rangers who read the books and the chapters as we go, and they advise and, and comment. And one of those rangers is a, a pretty legendary master breacher. 
And another one of those Rangers is the guy that basically um, held the main supply base as an officer uh, around Fallujah. And, and then the other guy was a Ranger uh, who was in during my time and then went back to the GWAT. So these people, you know, and 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 I don't think it's unknown that, that Jason Ansbach and myself are unabashedly pro Ranger. We see them as um, the best soldier in the entire world, like bar none. Um, for the, for, for being a soldier, everybody has like secret skills and, and everybody's a great soldier. Like you, I, I, I know in my own experience, there've been line infantrymen that I just, you know, like no jump tab, just leg infantrymen. And they were, they were some of the best or anything like that, but the Rangers approach, you know, being premier, um, operators. And even the, I think the special forces community that would say, oh, they're more shock troops or whatever. But the way that they approach the, the, the culture is the epitome of warrior culture. And, and we think that they're so, and, the, and we already have a lot of feedback from the Ranger community that they're really into these books. And like, sometimes like, you know, like the, it basically some of the things that are written out of there are just verbatim out of like how to, how to get through Ranger school. And in fact, like if you look at the talker character arc he's basically going through ranger school and that's what the book of joe is about he's attached as an army linguist um but he comes to join the the cult of ranger and things like that and so it, it's very much about that and so we we insist that we have these rigorous rigorous standards about how we approach the military and that you're not going to have this there i was you know surrounded by eight you know uh, like in G, you know, like eight, you know, enemy space Marines. So I pulled out my dagger and started cutting like that. That doesn't happen. You know, we talk about things like traversing fire and plunging fire and effective fire and kill zones. And, and a lot of the times it's a lot of the times the battle is about leadership and management and, 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 you know, knowing how to do a, a needle decompression and, and things like that. So it's not just rah, rah, you know, then we kill them all. There's, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. And what we've found is that's the value add for most of the readers, like whether they are having people who have served or like, I think a lot of people just really pro military and they love to learn about the military and things like that. And so we want to represent that. We have a larger mission too, that Jason and I have always had is we know that, you know, okay, we're not going to get political here, but we know that there is a war in the culture on masculinity and boys and you know you know they'll call the cops on you if two boys are playing with guns around the school and you know like we stuff we all used to do as kids so what we what we feel that we're doing with with forgotten ruin is is we're we're writing about just kind of like highland Heinlein did in a certain way something that's very pro uh uh military and and very pro a positive view of men who choose to be warriors and and so we're hoping that that will that will inform the next generation and that they you know because a nation always needs soldiers and i hope we have a nation and all those kinds of things so we want to we, we're trying to provide a very pro uh um military culture and if you look at the rangers the the ranger creed ranger ethics those kind of things it's, this, is, this is a great mission to live your life by and so those things embody this now we have all kinds of writers we have military writers we have some writers who haven't served and everything like that and people will say oh you know can i you know give pitch you guys a story or do whatever but i didn't serve and it's like you know 
we can write these stories and all of us, you know, who served in some capacity or some level or whatever, you know, um, we could vet shame or whatever and blah, blah, blah. The end of the day, the greatest military fiction writer ever is a nearsighted dude who, who sold insurance. That was Tom Clancy, like hands down. He's the greatest. I just, I just had a long conversation with a, with an 82nd airborne scout who uh, was sat in on a question and answer uh, session with Colonel Petraeus when he was Colonel, when Tom Clancy was down there interviewing for a book that he was writing about the airborne infantry regiment and the respect they had for that guy, for his accuracy to get it right and things like that. That's, that's what we aim for, whether we served or we don't serve. We have this massive, you know, um, layer of, of, you know, veterans who tell us their stories and then veterans who read chapter by chapter and they call bullshit where it's bullshit and then we get it right or they, they inform us even more and then it gets even better. And that's, that's the special feature we have. And I think that's really cool and, and it, it's, it's neat to be a part of long answer. I hope that there was valuable content. <laughs> uh, I get it. Thank you. <laughs> I just got a note. You, you should, uh, you should talk to yourself or whoever, whoever is working on your Wargate site. Apparently people are having trouble signing up right now. Okay. I will, I will, um, I will tell, I will tell tech right now to get that fixed. You can also go over to the galaxy's edge site and sign up for the newsletter there. And um, you'll get some crossfeed there. Um, and that's a great way to stay informed. But I'm going to send tech a, a thing right now. Uh, that's that's really cool what you said about authors and, and veterans getting both in there and really appreciating the veterans. I think, well, I'd have thought that maybe that'll veer too much into politics, so maybe I'll hold it for now. Okay. But I... Uh, yeah, I, I agree in, in like with your general sentiment about uh, the culture war and it's good to have it's good to have positive portrayal of uh, people who in popular fiction and culture are often portrayed in a negative light. Yeah. And, and, and you know, like it's during the GWAT we had like when we started writing galaxy's edge, a major corporation came to us and said, we want to partner with you because um, you guys are the only ones writing for soldiers. And, and we want, we want to, we want to be part of that because we're really pro soldier and everything like that. Well, that was really prior to 2019. Then the events without getting political of 2019 and 2020 began to shift the focus of most corporations to want to quote unquote virtue signal in another direction. And now I think we're seeing an outright evisceration and downgrading of the military that was and almost a humiliation of that military by, uh, you know, it, it's just, it, it's real. I, I mean, if you, if you see some of the things that happen and then you see the net result, you're like, this has to be contrived. Mm -hmm. And so whatever a government wants to do or whatever a political cabal wants to do or whatever, you're fine. You're welcome to do those things. This is America. Everybody can do what they want. But what Jason Allen and I are going to do is we are going to show positive, um, true, <laughs> as they write about orcs and hill giants and dragons, <laughs> and like that, you know, but a, tr a true, like a true embodiment of warrior culture. And it's not all Jack Bauer. Sometimes it's, it's a, it's a two DUI specialist with two ex stripper wives who, who just ain't going to quit you know, when people start exchanging kinetic 
uh, hate, you know, and that's, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's sometimes people who, you know, they get a taste of something and, and they get, you know, the, as, as Tom Sizemore says in, um, he, you know, the action is the juice. And then, and, and, and then sometimes it's about the burden of leadership and how sometimes you look at certain types of leaders, whether it's the weapons team leader who says, seems to have a perpetual hate on for everybody who doesn't, you know, soldier at his level, but you come to find out really it's, it's, it's his fear of failure of anybody dying on his watch. And then you move to, um, the voice of wisdom in a unit and it's a Sergeant major who sometimes you just kind of see him with a cup of coffee, making sure the flag is getting hung up. Right. But that's the guy who's the repository of all wisdom and has forgotten everything. has forgotten more about, you know, uh, uh, humping a rock than you'll ever actually know in your life at your little 22 year old level. And then you get to that ground force, uh, commander, the, you know, the, the leader of a unit, the, the officer. And, and sometimes there's these attitudes about, uh, well, I think one of the things that my experience when I was in is, as I looked up to the officers I had to me in a lot of ways, they were like Achilles, but that was a different generation. And then I would listen to the stories of the guys coming out of the GWAT and I saw that something had changed in the officer corps. And so I wanted to go back to those kind of Achilles leaders who embodied what you, you see at the Fort Benning school of Inter infantry, which is follow me. And it's not all captain Morgan proposes and Tom Hanks speeches. Sometimes that guy's got a perpetual look of indigestion on his face because he's trying to keep it all together and make sure everybody doesn't get killed. And then, yeah, you've got to go smoke the enemy. Things have got to get done. And then that guy turns into a were tiger because of the stress. <laughs> mm. you know? so, so it's, uh, there's these, you know, like you've got it. I think, I think forgotten ruin in a lot of ways is Flintstone vitamins. They're fun to eat, but they're actually, they're good for you on a certain level. And it's not, it's not a big sermon or anything like that. There's a lot of fun, but, are you, are you probably going to learn how to conduct a raid by reading Forgotten Ruin? Yeah, you probably will. Are, are you, are you going to learn how to conduct an attack on a fixed position? Yeah, you probably will. Are you some little grommet out there looking around in life and you've played Call of Duty and that's fun and everything like that? And you're like, well, this, these rangers are interesting. What's this about? And then, you know, maybe you go down and talk to your recruiter and you, you ask uh, for a RIP contract. I think they call it something now, RASP contract. And, uh, you go and, and, and you try and you do, and, and, and you become something that, you know, whether you're a Marine or a Ranger or soldier or whatever, that is something that you will be proud of to the rest of your life, no matter whatever happens, blah, blah, blah. There's something like you look at those old guys, you know, driving around the golf course, golf carts, and they've got the Marine hat on and a stogie. And it's like a lot of, a lot happened in their life, but man, that was a moment that they dug. And, and so I hope we encourage people, um, to do that. We should probably talk about strange company. Sorry. <laughs> I hope that's where uh, DW is going because yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah. I was going to abruptly change the subject to, Good. sorry, uh, galaxy's edge, galaxy's edge or strange company. Oh, Strange Company. Let's do that. We can first. talk Galaxy's Edge. I really like Strange Company. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we do want to talk about Galaxy's Edge uh, before we go, but let's talk Strange sure. Company. Sure. I, um, I don't know anything about it, but the blurb. Have you read it, DW? Oh, yeah. I just said I really liked it. Oh. I mean, you could look at that cover. That cover is pretty boss. It's by Pascal Blanche. 
who is uh, he was one of the artists on Dune and he has a very surreal, almost like modern take on seventies science fiction um, pieces. And so I think he just really nailed that cover. I could not get him to come back for the second cover, but I've got another artist who's doing another even freakier uh, thing because the strange company is in a, in a lot of ways it's a, it's forgotten ruin and galaxy's edge adjacent. But it's more like, like, you know, I don't care what people say or whatever. It's it's the black company in space. And I like that. And that was fun. See, I my uh, feeling about the book when I finished reading it uh, is I thought this kind of seems like all the ideas that Nick had that were too strange to put in Galaxy's Edge. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is like. A lot of the times Jason is the voice of reason for some of the wacky shit I want to do. And so this, since this was a solo project, I was just like, it ended up, here's what it really ended up being. It ended up being a love letter to science fiction. Cause there, there are a lot of tropes in there. And I think, you know, and he did it masterfully No, but I did it subtle enough that they, they're in the story. It's just stuff that I wanted to write about. I mean, Planet of the Apes is in there. You, you may not know it as Planet of the Apes, but I always wanted to write about apes with guns. And so it's in there. And and there's a lot of sort of lost starship crash stuff. And and then there's some there's some Doom Marine. And then there's some Warhammer. And it's just like, it, but it's my, it's it's with those serial numbers filed off and it's subtle. And it's just sort of like if you if you drank a nice glass of wine and someone was like, oh, you know, like all those highfalutin terms, the wine snobs, you know, use like hints of oak and, you know, leather notes. It's like, yeah, hints of, you know, uh, Planet of the Apes and, and notes of Warhammer 40K. And it's just like but at the end of the day, I had been on a black company jag for a couple of years and there's things I like about the black company and things that I don't like. But I liked the premise of, of, of a group of mercenaries that are kind of hard to get along with among each other. But at the end of the day, you know, they're for each other. And then I like some of the character types and I wanted to play with those. And so, you know, Strange Company is 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 basically uh, a mercenary unit at the edge of you. Oh, Blade. Some, there's some Blade Runner in there. Um, there's some Terminator in there. The, the strange company is 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 a long-lived much storied uh mercenary unit sort of very much down on their luck at the end of uh you know what is a change of culture uh in a galactic culture in which the dominating culture would the elites who own earth and don't let you around they're kind of coming to the end of their reign and the upstarts are starting to tear away uh, uh, flesh from the carcass and strange company gets involved with one of these monarchs they're called. And um, they end up on a pretty hairy mission, but it it was a lot of fun to write. I like that book and I'm working on book two right now, which is called voodoo warfare. Voodoo warfare. So you just, grab onto a doll and sit in your bunker and <laughs> jab the enemy to death well the character the character that became um i think the character that everybody ended up liking out of strange company is this character called stink eye and so the monarchs you know they're into transhumanism and things like that they they take people and experiment on them and they do really wacky stuff to them and so with the stink eye character he basically became like a war wizard but he's with a modern military you know it's not there's not magic and stuff like that 
It's just he can do things kind of like psionics and psychic stuff like that. But he's this sort of miserable alcoholic and, and you know, with a total hate on for the rest of the universe. But he also is the oldest member in the company. And he's he's like he's their lucky totem. And and his um, he's he's a warrant officer. And there are three platoons uh, in, in, in Strange Company. There's Reaper platoon which is basically all the noobs are, Oh, there's four platoons. Then there's ghost, uh, which is your snipers and scouts. There's dog platoon, which is the line infantry and, and, and think very much like platoon. Um, uh, Tom, Tom Berenger's character and his platoon, you know, good old boys and, you know, real, really dedicated, you know, heartbreakers and life takers. And the whole thing is told from Reaper platoon from their, their sergeant, who's this sort of very much PTSD, um, you know, guy, who, who's just a, he's a sergeant and he's just trying to get everybody through it. And um, Voodoo Platoon is where all the freaks are. And Voodoo is basically they're different. There's a guy in there who's basically disembodied because the 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 monarchs basically reversed his existence. But his special ability is he can just basically make things disappear. So they use that in military operations to like suddenly drop buildings on people and things like that um there's a there's a psyop specialist who's very hunter s thompson and then there's stink eye and stink eye basically can create negative emotions in mass groups of people and so what's a mercenary unit that's outgunned going to do they're going to they're going to cause these waves of fear or panic uh in their enemies that 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 stink eye can do and then use that to their advantage their their psyops guy basically uses uh, hallucinogenics in the form of gas to 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 gain some sort of con combat multiplier. So it's 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 a very by hook or crook military unit, and they get a lot done. Um, and they fight with each other, and they all have stories, and it's interesting. But at the end of the day, there's there's a there's a law in Strange Company, and it's it's strangers to the universe, brothers to the end. And and that's like they may hate each other's guts, they may do all these things, but at the end of the day, they're going to lock shields and get it done. Uh, sounds really entertaining to watch. I, in particular, I have a, I have a very vivid image of a soldier huffing a can of paint before waiting in the battle. Just <laughs> it would it, it, at one point the 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 um, the psyops basically guide doses them all with LSD as a, as a counter psychotropic to to fight the other guys that he he dosed with a narcotic gas. So it gets very insane and things like that, but it's, it's, it's weird because it's, you know, it's like forgotten ruin in, in certain ways. There's a lot of fantastic weirdness going on. You know, it's very much a blade runner style universe. It's cyberpunk. It's very dark um, corporations, you know, overstate, uh, you know, all this kind of like weird messed up stuff spanning across about 134 worlds. Um, but at the end of the day, like Forgotten Ruin and like Galaxy's Edge, um, all stories like in Galaxy's Edge and Forgotten Ruin and, and Strange Company are space marine stories. And all space marine stories are really about soldiers. They're not so much about the aliens or the monsters. They are about soldiers and, and soldiers values and the way that soldiers talk and the interactions and the things that they have to face and the hardships. And then this sort of elusive glory that they're always sort of pursuing and trying to put their their handprint in the clay mud of the universe and, and hope that it means something. Those are, those are, those are truths that just echo. Those, those are just, that's, that's what young men do, you know? And, um, 
and then the monsters become the interesting part but the real drama and that stuff that's that's what goes on with soldiers all that's all space marine stories are really about soldiers they're not so much about the monster or everything like that but then the fun that i learned as being an actor after i got out of the military um in hollywood the fun is playing the villains the fun is playing the monsters because you know that's that's where you can get really weird and chew some scenery and, and do fun stuff and so that you know if you can balance like some really good drama and character development and arc and all those kinds of things and then and then set it against a very interesting tapestry whether it's dungeons and dragons or blade runner or star wars um i think that you enter a really cool intersection of fun for the reader there that's it final word that's it. Done. See you guys had, later. Had, had, to leave, had to leave that one hanging. Uh, I love it. Just, yeah. Uh, of course, the of course the Star Wars, um, the ones that you mentioned, Star Wars and Blade Runner, everything, they do have uh, sort of interesting and, and memorable villains and antagonists. Um, yeah. I mean, Darth Vader being the, the, the big obvious one. Yeah. Um, but or yeah, Roy, I or think... Or Roy Batty and Blade Runner. And, you know, like, it's, it's all very interesting. And I would just say... Strange Company r resonated in a way that I didn't think it was going to, and a lot of a lot of veterans really dug it because it, it is very much a soldier's story, and there's a lot of things that they can relate. And it's not it's not necessarily in a certain way what people think. It it, it verges sometimes on stream of consciousness, but there's some pretty good action and just plain old fun in there. But there there are some truths, and then the reality. One of the realities is. Um, getting the narrator for the audiobook christopher ryan grant that guy is i mean he's just he's beautiful as a as a as a as a as a narrator i mean he just has a great voice that really captures the pathos in in these characters and he he's exploding and so i get messages pretty much on a daily basis from people and they're like i've listened to strange company three times when's the next book gonna be ready so like for some people, it's been an addictive listen. And that's interesting. You know, that's I don't get paid extra for it. I just think it's interesting. Do they really explain why? I think that I think that it reminds them of people that they knew. And it helps them. I I, I don't think, you know, I don't want to go so far into P PTSD or things like that. But I, you know, it's um, you know, I was a soldier or, you know, and I I think back about the people I knew and in my mind, they're always still young, but it's been several years. They're old people now broken like me, you know, gray hair. Maybe you don't got hair, whatever. Um, and I think, I think, it, I think it feels familiar in that re respect. The, and there, you know, the, there's some really dark soldierly humor in there. And, you know, sometimes you need that humor to, to cope with things and being in the military and I think it resonates on that level. So I think they just enjoy it. And I think I, I think they enjoy it for the characters and the interaction of them as soldiers. Then it's fun that some of them are fantastic. And then it's it's fun that sometimes they're having to fight chimpanzees with automatic shotguns. <laughs> you know. If I could offer a, a, a theory, it sounds like the soldiers in Voodoo Company they're the ones that were experimented on so you're putting the trauma and 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 
pain and, and stuff that they've been through into sharp relief. There, It's not simply PTSD. These guys have literally been like genetically modified and messed with and, you know, yeah. psychically messed with. Like these guys have been seriously screwed up just you know, in an attempt to create a super soldier. So yeah, that no, puts yeah. that, that, puts that it at top of mind in front and center to really think about it. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that, and, and the truth of is, and I hope this isn't a controversial statement, but in my own life, I was brainwashed as a soldier. I was, I was one way and then I went in the military and I became another way. And that's a good way. I learned a lot of value, but you, the process that you go in through in the military forges you into a different person. You know, you're being brainwashed when you watch the Super Bowl. You're being brainwashed when you listen to certain types of music. I mean, brainwashing is more prevalent than people know. But I think that that you're absolutely spot on, and I hadn't thought about it in that way. But it is interesting because the freaks in voodoo very much are these glaringly damaged people who have either motivations of re revenge or withdrawal, you know, or, or, or actually think that the damage was great. I think that's, that, that's personified in three of those people. And, and then the soldiers who would seem normal, um, part of Orion's who's the main character, Sergeant Orion, um, part of his job in strange company is to get down everybody's story before you die. And that way you kind of go down into the permanent record of a unit that's been around for a long time. And, and so he, what you find out is those guys who, who think they're, they're normal, they're intimately aware of how damaged they are. And then sometimes they dealt with that in a very positive method. And then, and then sometimes they, you know, they, they want to stick one last middle finger to the universe, but it does, it, like I said, it, it does be, you know, it's, it's a, it's weird because it's a really fun book, but then it, it's deep on this level that I hadn't intended. When I signed the contract, they're like, Hey, you're really good at writing uh, space Marine novels. Would you just write another space Marine novel, a, 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 a trilogy? And I'm like, sure. And I just intended to write, what if Blade Runner were space Marines? And then kind of all this sort of depth came out of it. And so it, it still is what if Blade Runner were Space Marines? But then there's like, I don't know, I just I, I think I just tapped into either some of my own military experiences or a lot of the military experiences that you know, people kind of do the Orion thing with me now. They just write and they'll say, like, hey, I want to tell you about something that happened to me, and you can use it. And I'm like, okay. And and it, it, I then I become like a priest in a certain way. And I feel it's important um, that I take care of what I've been told. Mm. Uh, I've got a question from chat real quick before we go to Galaxy's Edge. They're, uh, they're idly musing uh, about other types of military and warrior cultures. Are you uh, interested or working on uh, Euro uh, European or Asian markets for... Uh, any of your books or authors or stories uh, about other warrior cultures? Yeah, we are going into the EU now with German translations of Galaxy's Edge, and that's been an ongoing project for the, for a year now. And Jason Anspach, we I mean, we hired full-on translators. We didn't just go like, hey, let's just put it through Google Translate, which people do. And the German market is huge. We took our time 
And we decided to actually hire, uh, we have a German translator and I think we have an Italian translator and they're just slowly working their way through. And I, I'm pretty sure like in the next couple of months, we start dropping novels there. We wanted to make sure we had, because the, the secret always in Amazon to release is to, is to have a there there. So if you release a book, you know, strange company is a mistake and that I just took the money and like started putting books out. It's not how we release in Forgotten Ruin or Galaxy's Edge where we like, you know, month to month or month every two months, you're going to keep getting hit with this series. And that's the best way to go. So that's that's what will be happening there. Um, we, I, I don't think we have any Asian plans yet, um, but we should. But I think we're going into um, the EU, Germany specifically, and then Italy came along for the ride with another translation. Translation. Oh, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is huge in Japan. Yeah, I big know. in Japan, yeah. and I'm sure I am utterly certain that Forgotten Rune would be big in Japan. Yeah, they and they would liken it to Isekai, which is their gate fiction. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it, and there's there's shades and elements, there's differences that allow us to call it Wargate. But I I really do think it would be a perfect uh, fit for for Asian uh, Japan specifically in a lot of ways. In, in fact, I think it would be big in Japan tonight. I think it would be big in Japan, all right. Big in Japan through the Eastern Sea, so blue. Sorry. <laughs> In Forgotten Ruin, uh, Japan became uh, a, a return to a feudal culture and became samurais. Um, the Nano Plague that basically, so the Nano Plague, like it gave the main character psionics and it gave the ground force commander, it turned him into a were tiger. So sometimes, like about 10% of any population um, in Forgotten Ruin begins to become monsters. And over 10,000 years, those monsters form nations and tribes. But because the rangers got dropped into it, some of the one guy became a minotaur. Um, he's cool. His name's Monroe. They had to give him a they had to have the forge um, print him a special forces E3 M60 because that was the only thing that would kind of fit his ability, his torso and ability to aim and everything like that. So that really works for him. Um, one of them became a wizard. The guy who actually in the unit was kind of the dog's body. The guy that is on per permanent like perpetual duty. Um, he's a geek. He's like half, half Korean, half American, and everybody kind of hates him. Um, mainly the NCOs cause they just don't think he's, he's a ranger. And then he turns out to have an affinity for high level magic and he becomes their wizard. And now he's basically like now the entire unit loves him and they, because he's the one who knows the most about dungeons and dragons. And he'll always tell you in the book, like, I don't know if that applies to this world. But it kind of does. And so he they they constantly he's like the source of all wisdom for them regarding, you know, how they're gonna kill a manticore, uh, how they're gonna kill a dragon and things like that. But um in Japan, they returned to over 10,000 years, they returned to a feudal samurai uh shogun warlord culture, and they all became uh eight-foot gorilla people. So now you have gorilla samurais in Japan. I don't know if the Japanese will be offended by that, but it's pretty freaking awesome because we just met the first one. Uh, oh, I'm ruining, I'm ruining book of Joe. So, sorry. I, I want to know, uh, I, I just want to see the swords. Those things wield. Oh, he just cuts people in half with Toro for the win. My goodness. And he's a gorilla like, too. He could just bite you or he could just rip your arms out. I was like, they don't, <laughs> they don't really need swords. 
I guess. No, but, they, but they have them in samurai armor, and it's awesome. <laughs> or, or one of those. Uh, uh, I read once that the samurai actually rarely used their swords in battle. It was a, uh, you know, often the spears, and the, yeah, uh, sometimes the their bows. So I, I, I could imagine a grill with a, one of those long spears with the wicked curved blade on the front. Let's do it. Oh yeah, for sure. So Bradford Walker is a uh, he concurs. You, you guys should try to get that over there in the Japanese market. I think they'd love it. All right. I, 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 it wasn't on my radar, but I always learn from people. And so Monday morning at the GE meeting, I will uh, tell our staff to begin operations to invade Japan. Excellent. DW, now's your time to shine. No, I was just kind of casually uh, mentioning that uh, Galaxy's Edge is in the middle of season two, and uh, the next book is coming out real soon now. Yes, sir. Hey, I, I noticed something really weird about your covers. Uh, is is that something you, you can talk about? Uh, something weird happened on Amazon the past couple of weeks. Is that true? Um, yeah. Well, what happened is they took us down. And so like about, was it a, two weeks ago, on a Saturday night at six o'clock when I'm, I'm done, um, my partner called and said, hey, we're out of the store. We've, we've been kicked out. And I'm like, what? So he sent me the letter and it basically said, you are in violation and have multiple accounts and you violated terms of service and you're out. Huh. And then the last line of it was, um, you can no longer make another account. You're done forever. And I know people that that's happened to, and they they are done forever, for sure. And they've tried to go make fake accounts, and then Amazon will hunt you down and get you there. And so, you know, the bulk of our money, earnings, I should say, comes from Amazon, just like everybody else. It's the gorilla in the room. So it happened on a Saturday night, and everybody freaked out in the company. We have, we have a pretty good staff now. And um, I thought to myself, I said, this seems like a hack. Because it's a Saturday night and and somebody's, you know, running around there and, and Russia and Ukraine are at war with each other and Russia's messing with us, you know, in cyber warfare terms. And the United States military and government keeps most of its um, stuff. And I don't think it's a very wise move on the Amazon servers, cloud servers. So my, my feeling was this is probably a result of why the Internet sucks and why all our devices are constantly being hacked and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like... It'll probably work itself out by Monday. Um, my partner, Jason Ansbach, he felt that it was that Amazon had probably patched in some new feature and some kind of like, uh, you know, like if you have multiple accounts and it, and it pinged us, mm -hmm. which we don't have multiple accounts. And, and I knew it was bullshit because I will constantly come up with random ways to violate the terms of service, not like trying to vi violate the terms of service, but I'll be like, oh, maybe we could do this strategy. And Jason Ansbach has actually read the terms of service and is very litigious and 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 right on about it. And he will always tell me like, nope, can't do that. That would be a violation of terms of service. So I know that we are a con company, and I'm very proud of that fact, that conducts its um, affairs above board. And we do not do any shenanigans, even though I might accidentally try to do a shenanigan. And he'll point that out like, no, that would violate this. And then there was my theory. Yeah. My theory was, because I've seen this happen to way too many friends of mine, Yes. Um, 
was that there was just somebody with just enough authority at Amazon to be able to carry out uh, a grudge. Yep. And I, and I, and I honestly, I don't, one of the things like after what happened after control alt revolt is I did not want to make my career um, being the guy that that happened to. So yeah. I try to get, I, I just try to move on and do my thing and, and give the benefit of the doubt. But the, the truth of it is, is I think 50%, it was a chill warning. I do another podcast that's pretty political over on Substack. It's called control alt revolt, the podcast. And after January 6th, I had um, people go to one of my publishers and say that I was an insurrectionist, everything like that. And the CEO, it was a pretty big publishing company, um, came to me on a Sunday morning, wanted an emergency meeting. And, you know, you can't say these things and blah, blah, blah. I didn't say anything. I just said, oh, look, people are doing, but I have enemies. And, and I, I even had a Hollywood deal uh, last year and I was told, you know, point blank, like, you know, we're not doing it because your, your audience is a right-wing Christian audience and, and we're not making films for them. And that was pretty flabbergasting and things like that. So I've, I, you know, that's just, it's like the Larry Korea thing. That's just part and parcel of, of, of doing that. Like, and we won't get political or anything like that, but I feel at the end of the day, it was a chill warning and, and it might've been a beta test to see if they could do it. But it is amazing the amount of people who are maybe libertarian to conservative to moderate who whose accounts just suddenly accidentally break. And and then sometimes they don't even I know one guy who I would tell you is 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 maybe secretly libertarian is not super open about it or whatever. And his account uh, suddenly had the same thing happened. And then someone said, oh, there was some content that you wrote that was offensive and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's just like, it, it's the reality, like it's the Joe Rogan thing. It's, it's the reality is there are people out there that can no longer have a discussion and they can no longer tolerate the fact that you think differently. We are moving toward a society that is going to, that is, if, if that side wins, it is a society where you must absolutely think like them. You will not be allowed to participate. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think that's going to win. I don't think that's going to work because we're Americans and, you know, we are, we are Yalkaida, you know, like we just, you just can't tell us what to do. It's not going to happen, but it's weird. It does seem that there are a group of people that seem to use technology and big tech and services to not just silence you, but get rid of you. And I'm, I'm very concerned about where that's going to lead but I do have a tendency to agree with you, DW, that I think more it was a chill. It was like, you know, be a shame if something happened to your company. Mm -hmm. So, and I got, it's interesting. I had a guy yesterday, I was just talking about uh, Evangeline Lilly, who was the lost actress who showed up uh, to, to basically say she was against vaccines. And I just said, oh, you know, if I ever have a book that becomes a movie, I'd love to have her in that, you know, because I, I support that. And I know when you do those kind of things in Hollywood, because I was in Hollywood, guess what? You don't get to work anymore. So I think there's a new paradigm shift where a lot of us are starting to make our own content. And I think Jason and I have actually been working with some producers in, in Texas, and we're thinking about making a very low budget Galaxy's Edge post-apocalyptic movie. So I think those things are going to come to the forefront and they're going to be more popular. And maybe we could do that, like with Gina Carano, like how she did, you know, her thing. So I think that sometimes they come along and try to chill you and get you to stop 
doing that. And what that did to Jason and I on the Monday morning, the account, like we basically went to our, our audience and we said, Hey, can you go on Twitter and hashtag this and, and see if we can get our account back up. And because we are successful, that happened just like it happened for another romance author. She did the same thing. And we had a consigliere tell us like, Hey, you should do it. It worked for her. If you didn't have a big audience or whatever, you didn't get served like they, so that's kind of wacky about Amazon. Like literally you have to use Twitter as a, as a help desk ticket to get your shit fixed. Excuse my language. <laughs> you know, like that, that's, that's whole levels of wrong. I don't even want to get into, but it, it's concerning. And it tells me, it, it tells me more than it doesn't tell me. So instead I got together with Jason Ansbach on Monday because we had just looked, you know, zero revenue going forward in the face. And, and I said, I'm kind of getting tired because everybody knows I mouth off a lot and, and I, and we get threatened a lot. And I've had about, I've had about four or five cancellation efforts over the 11 years that I've been publishing. And one day, you know, maybe somebody's going to get lucky and get me canceled. I don't know. Jason says I'm cancel proof, but I don't know. You can always get somebody. Um, and I said, you know what we should do today? We should pretend that that worked, that we really were taken off of Amazon. And we, we, because we're weak and that's the thing we both had to admit to each other. We had, we had to say like, if they would have taken us down, we would have had no recourse. Look at parlor. Look at that. You're done. You know, and it's like, great. All the money you invested and your mortgage payments and your kids braces and all this kind of stuff. Like, great. You know, we didn't like what you had to say. So we just ruined your family. That's really, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's, that's what you do. That's what they're doing to us. And I said, I feel very vulnerable and exposed. And Jason said, yeah, I feel the same way too. And I said, what we should do, what we've realized is we have all our eggs in one basket. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, what we should do is maybe not do that anymore. And he'd kind of been saying all this to me for a long time. And I kind of maybe hadn't been listening. And so he was, he was more ahead of the curve. And so what we did on Monday, that Monday following, we began to implement a new system where all our eggs weren't in the Amazon basket. So we're removing titles out of the store, out of exclusivity, and we're moving to a subscription model. So we started a, 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 we have a subscription model and have always had it even before we started publishing. Cause we had these true believers that were really into star Wars meets GI Joe. And so then we, um, basically decided that we were going to take more of our titles and offer that. Like if you subscribe, you're going to like for 10 bucks a month, you're going to get like 11 books, including strange companies, strange companies in there. If you subscribe, um, and you're going to get every book that we pub that we publish the moment that it comes out of editing you get you know the first you know the first thing before it goes up on Amazon so like if you if you basically were beating KU in a certain respect like we're giving you all our stuff through the subscription and then on top of that you get the audiobooks cuz now like with Forgotten Ruin we've moved to recording our own audiobooks in house so we pay the production costs and everything like that we hire a really great narrator like Christopher Ryan Grant. And then we work with a company and we produce a really good audiobook. And now we can just basically give those to you um, through find a way uh, through a, um, a funnel cheaper than going on audible and spending a credit. So people have really liked that and everything like that. And I said, well, we need one more kind of like thing to get people to subscribe and show up on a weekly basis. 
So two weeks ago, we started a serial, which is based on our main character that everybody loves, which is Tyrus Rex, who's basically like think Boba Fett and the Mandalorian, but Obi-Wan Kenobi and with space Alzheimer's. And he's like this really cool, awesome bounty hunter and everybody digs him. And he's a really great character. He's a great soldier. And um, so we decided to start a serial based on him. And so if you're, if you're a subscriber, you, you get a serial episode every week. And then because we know like the supply chain crisis, we know that not everybody can read that um, people, some people like cops or truck drivers or night workers, they listen to their stuff. And so maybe a subscription method doesn't appeal to them. So they do get the audiobooks. And then we took the weekly serial and Jason and I switch off basically recording it, highly polished presentation. And so you get to hear our, our version of it, warts and all, and some asides. And so far, people have liked that. They've dug it. It's been pretty fun. So we're trying to make this. We think that there are three places that you get books. You get books at the bookstore and you get books on Amazon. And we want to be the third place, which every author has. Every author has their own website. You have the ability to sell your own books. You don't have to be on the Amazon plantation. It's a very good plantation when it works. And I've made a lot of money on Amazon and I have liked it. But lately, the treatment and behavior, you know, like the upshot of getting our, our account canceled on Monday was, oh, sorry, that was a mistake, but don't violate the, the terms of service. And both Jason and I were like, wait, we didn't violate the terms of service. You messed up. You cost us income all weekend. And it's a significant amount of income. And then you turn around and tell us like you threaten us. Like it's like it, sometimes it's like being in an abusive relationship. And then you 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 consider that like Amazon determines all the royalties and rates. And if they ever want to like look at everybody and there has been talk of this and move everybody like remember, what do we do for Amazon? We give them free content. So that they can sell toilet paper and survival tools and books and all like all the writers putting stuff up in KDP, that's free. They're not even paying for it. So to get the level of service that you get from these people, like you would think like they would try to help us more to sell books, but and there there are huge hits on Amazon, huge indie hits. They don't make those at Amazon Studios. They go make some big trade pub author who hates everybody's guts stuff. They, you know, like it's just it's beginning to become a dysfunctional relationship. So we looked at our method and we said, you know what? Why should we be treated like this and give these people exclusivity? That literally is broken codependent behavior. So we just have decided to take matters into our own hands and become the third place to sell books. Sounds good. I mean, yeah. it was a it was a matter. It was only a matter of time before Amazon. Uh, I think so. Abused yeah. their you know position of power. They they do hold all the cards or did. You you you, you like you you're some guy and you write a space marine book, and everybody goes, oh wow, that's a really great space marine book. Um, can you write another? And so you write another. And this this is a standard story on Amazon, and you write like six space marine books while you're working at your day job. And one day you get a royalty check that is your entire year's salary at your day job. And you're like, I don't need to do my day job anymore. And people are asking for more books than I have time. And my family life is suffering. Why don't I take this check and just stay home? There's a big matzo ball to hang. You know, it, the safety of working for a large corporation and stuff like something happens to you or 
or, you know, whatever there, there's still, you've still got insurance, you've got unions, you've got things that are going to protect you. You, you. You're investing in 401ks, all these wonderful things that are about being with a company that I hope cares about you. So you decide to go right for Amazon and then some low level turd at Amazon decides that they don't like the way you think and they chill your account and, and you're sitting there and your wife's like, uh, but our mortgage payment and your kids are like, uh, how am I going to go to school, you know, or baseball or, you know, or college or whatever? Like there isn't a level of respect coming from people that you are literally betting your life on mm-hmm. and to just callously turn off your accounts or treat, you know, indie authors the way they do by constantly like, oh, have you guys figured out a way to make money this way? Well, guess what? We don't even allow that as a waiting factor anymore. We've moved it over to here. We don't even tell you and we don't work with you and we pick the winners and we hate your guts for the way that you think. And you're like, ah, this is weird. I got to find some people who actually like me, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's something somebody in this crowd says, is it Brian Niemeyer or Declan Finn or whatever? Who says, you know, don't give money to people who hate you. It's It's a yeah. true statement. It's a true statement. You know, and we all kind of have to begin to say that with a, a culture and a government. Oh, you said he wasn't getting political. But, you know, why would you be with a girl or a boy who hates your guts? You wouldn't be. You know, yeah. We all have to say that. That's a shame. Well, and just just as a reminder to authors, Amazon right now is giving a 70-30 split, right? The author gets 70% and Amazon takes 30. And that seems like a great deal. But you got to remember, that's only the deal because Apple opened up their iBook store. Yeah. Before Apple opened up their iBook store, it was a 730 cut the other way. Amazon got the 70 and you got the 30. Yep. And if you don't think that Amazon doesn't have dreams of returning to that, you're crazy. <laughs> I, th- I think that's the thing that we all know is coming and we're afraid of. And Amazon had a great COVID year when they wiped out the high street and middle America. And then this year hasn't been so great for them. Uh, you know, there, there are things to say about that, but um, gosh, I wish they cared about people who are just trying to make a living the way that they seem to care about, you know, vapid celebrities who do stupid shit and then write a book about it. And, and you get all the prize just, there, there's a lack of love at Amazon for indie authors. And I don't understand because we basically honestly put them on the map. We really did. Crazy. So I've got uh, one, uh, one question um, to ask before we uh, start rounding off the show. Show. Um, and the um the phrase is there isn't a body or there wasn't a body that is until you see a body in a work of fiction somebody really isn't necessarily dead Mm -hmm. so i'm just wondering there was a really really popular character who died supposedly maybe early on, mm-hmm. but I don't remember their body showing up. So I'm just wondering if you have any 
maybe plans for that character to uh, unexpectedly return? Well, I, I've gamed that out, and there is a way. But as Jeff Goldblum says in Jurassic Park, just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should. And, and so what I'm hoping is that that character in his, you know, we're talking about Tyrus Rex in his contracts and termination series, which is kind of his like, you know, greatest hits prequel. And then this new Tyrus Rex hard target, which is the weekly serial. Like, I hope that makes people happy. Um, but could he re-enter the main series? Yes, there is definitely a way he can re-enter the main series. And it, and it, and I, I, I knew it when I did it and I always I left I left the I left the mechanics there to be done. But you know, you don't want a Patrick Duffy thing. So is it the right is it the right thing to do? Now, there is an interesting new character in Forgotten Ruin, enough said. But it's it's interesting. But it's like, do people want that? I don't know. I mean, I want to, I like Tyrus Rex. He's a great character, but he has been around for 2000 years. And, and, and so much of GE is really about all these other characters and things like that. I mean, he's, he's a, he's an overshadowing character. I mean, he's, he's, he's introduced as a legend and I don't think anything that ever has been written about him. And you write, you write Tyrus Rex very true, you know, like in the opening serial, he just gets the living crap beat out of him. You know, like he's not, he's not the guy, but he, the only great thing about Tyrus Rex is he's relentless, you know? And, and then the fun thing is you as a writer, which, you know, read devil is what the writer is in the story. You're the devil, you know, is that you throw all the stuff and the kitchen sink that you can at him. And he just keeps going. That's, that's how, like, you know, that was, I think that was one of Vonnegut's 10 rules for writing. Like, do everything awful that you can have you can do to a character. And when you've run out of awful things to do, that's the end of the story. Well, in Galactic Outlaws, which was the second book, and it was, you know, being written at the same time as the first book, um one of the one of the kitchen sinks finally got through and creamed him, you know, and it was it was a great moment and everything like that. But there is something about those pyramids, and then that's talked about in Imperator with Irmo, Irmo, Irmo. And so the pyramids violate time and space and, and there's one right there where he dies. So it's interesting. I will say this, and this is kind of off topic. Sure. The scenes or, or a topic adjacent, the scenes of the three of them aboard that Hulk and the ominousness of the ship they're in and and you know just how that whole part is described i think uh for me is is the most unsettling and the best most vivid scene in the entire series and you're that, you mean imperator on the uh, o'neill sphere no in i'm talking about tyrus and uh um the admiral and uh his friend, when the three of them are on the Hulk where they right. got captured and yeah. they're walking across that huge field. Yeah, yeah. Up towards uh, the structure that's in the center 
uh, and they're feeling that overwhelming strangeness or evil or yeah, that's just that just hangs around me and it has has always hung around with me longer than I can remember a lot of stuff from the series, you know, and I could, you know, probably sit down and discuss it with people. But that one scene was just uh, for flavor and for uh, ominousness and for uh, atmosphere. That's what yeah. I'm thinking of for atmosphere. It was, it was like that, that set piece is influenced by two modern things. And I, I've never, like I think writers try to sit around and act like they came up with everything in the world. I never do that. I, 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 Ralph Lauren is one of my big heroes as a fashion designer and Ralph Lauren doesn't really actually cut clothing or measure clothing or do anything. He's not like a fat, like he, when he's not doing fashion, he sits around and looks at pictures and influences and then begins to assemble those. And I kind of do the same thing in a lot of ways. And that, set piece that you're talking about there is a combination of two things. One of the first science fiction novels I ever read was Rendezvous with Rama. And, and, and that isn't necessarily so dark and ominous to me because it's a big giant cylinder in space. And it was, it was, you know, one of, you know, how we were talking about space colonization and what if a a colony came to earth and our local astronauts went and landed on it and then they found a world inside of it. So that was the concept that intrigued me there and then playing dead space. And I was like, and I was like, okay, well, what if those two things got together and had a freak baby that had, you know, witch powers and and, uh, there's probably a little fear in there, the game fear, you know, and so it's fear and it's dead space and it's it's a rendezvous with Rama. And you're absolutely right. That is an unsettling. And it's the introduction of the savages who are the the prime boogeymen in Galaxy's Edge. And 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 all the savages are are the elites of today um, realizing that the earth is is screwed and they've probably they probably uh haven't done too well with either ecological management or just like you know being kind of elitist assholes and we're all done with them and so they jump into these colony ships and take off at dumb speed which is sublight to get to the next world because earth isn't going to make it and they're about seven years gone from the system and these giant o'neill cylinders and things like that in their utopias and we all know what happens in a utopia like it turns into the island of dr moreau like like the reason that the, you know a, a world with a bunch of different cultures and a bunch of different voices and the ability to discuss and disagree and not censor is great is because you 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 have variety and difference and you edit out the bad and you keep an amount of sanity even in that argument but what if you took everybody at google who's a true believer and you said here we're going to let you live inside a, a spaceship for 40 years uh, until you get to alpha centauri well, you're going to find that it's going to turn into madness. It's going to turn into a cult. And so that's the, what the savages, you know, basically turn into a bunch of cults who don't even like each other at the beginning out there in space trying to trying to get their perfect utopia just right. Well, what happened with humanity is about seven years after the savages left, because things really were that bad, they discovered jump. They, they, they discovered the hyperdrive. And so the savages were moving at dumb speed, just the shy of, uh, you know, 0.99, you know, uh, of light, which still takes forever. Well, once you have hyperspace, it's, it's near instantaneous. 
And so humanity, who was who was cast off as opposed to transhumanity, humanity now gets to the stars first, discovers the world, colonizes them and develops them. And then the savages show up insane. And basically they're 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 savages. They're no longer elite societies. They're barbarian tribes. And, and no longer human. In most no longer cases. human. They're they're a combination there. That's the fun part about wargaming the savages is is taking modern sort of like uh cultural development and microcosmic cultural development and then wargaming that out of uh, 40 years of being all by yourself inside a giant cylinder and finding out you know that the, the cult arises that that suddenly you need calories and so you decide to start there's a great stephen king short story about a doctor who who gets stranded on a rocky island and he has to start cutting off pieces of his own body to survive. And so that happens to a particular tribe of savages. And they, they, they then be, you know, they then discover life digital and that you don't really need a body. Maybe you just need a brain in a jar. And, and so all the different savage tribes have some sort of like Frankensteinian horror that they get up to in those respects. And it's kind of fun to play with, you know, and then they end up on worlds and, and ultimately they become kind of agoraphobic, you know, being in space so long. So even when they get to those worlds that they're going to now start their great society on, they instead just basically pillage, rape and loot and then get back in their ships and where it's safe in the dark and they can continue to get up to their controlled madness. Because for those kind of sort of fascistic societies, it really never was about the dream. It was about the control and how, you know, the, 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 the limits of control that you can have in a you know, 40 kilometer long O'Neill cylinder where you, you know, govern everything from the power of the water and the light. Like for those kind of control freaks, the control is limitless, which is ironic, but interesting. Um, the Stephen King story is called Survivor Type. Yes. Yeah. And it's in Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew. Yep. Yep. Skeleton Crew. That's a, a great story. Um, I know Stephen King, but, you know, he, he, he <laughs> He gets some good ones sometimes. I, uh, so yeah, if you, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, do you, no, it's not my job. This isn't my prop. This isn't my, uh, time. This is John's job. What is John's job? At this point, you're supposed to be like, Oh, by the way, do you have anything else left to say? That's what your job is. Well, you were saying it. I don't have anything else left to say. Oh, okay. I guess no I'll one, take it no one should ever ask me if I have anything else to say because we will sit here for six hours. <laughs> I, have, I have much more to say. If you would like to hear it and you like listening to podcasts, come on over to Control Alt Revolt, the podcast. It's on Spotify and it's on iTunes and it's on Substack and you could even subscribe and give me money and you get more content and fun stuff. Um, or you can go over to galaxy galactic outlaws.com and you can get galaxy's edge stuff. Jason is uh, working on the, the Wargate site to make sure that, uh, that, uh, you guys can sign up, but you know, you can always friend me on Facebook or the garbage d dump stir that is Twitter. I'm around. Cool. And, yeah. and, and we do have, uh, we've got links to your books, your, your latest stuff, strange company yeah. season two of galaxy's edges out. Yeah. And, uh, the latest forgotten ruins. I, I'm, I, I might go ahead and read all the forgotten ruins. I'm going to have to full disclosure. I don't read stuff for fun. You should though. 
It's good for you. Uh, okay. I'll consider it just because it gets you money. Well, I mean, it's, I don't mean it's good for you, like in a pills or vitamin way. It's just, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a sense of play that comes with reading and, and like, I found like, how old are you? Uh, 41, 41. You're still young. Cause you're, you're in that you're in the things are coming together and, and now you're about to enter like the wheelhouse of success, which is your forties. And in the fifties, like everything really does come together and you've got it all trimmed out and you're not insecure anymore and, and things are great. But at the same time, you do miss being young and having the optimism and the fun stuff. And I find like reading, um, and especially adventure and pulp and stuff like that, it, it just, you do get overwhelmed by the cares of life in your forties and fifties. Cause there's just, you know, a lot of people are by that time depending on you. And, and so it is nice to have an escape where perhaps you're Philip Marlowe in 1940s and 50s Los Angeles, or you're, you're, you're a ranger killing an orc horde, or you're a space marine on the edge of human expansion trying to figure your deal out. You know, it's just, I'm not saying you become an obsessive reader, but you know, I, I, hey, this was kind of the Stephen King show, but he always said, always have a paperback in your pocket for when you go to the DMV. And so... It is kind of, it is good advice. And, and, it, and it, it wards off Alzheimer's. Supposedly. Oh, I'm in. I would like to, I would like to ward that off. <laughs> I would not like to lose my marbles. Yeah. Supposedly, yeah. <laughs> supposedly reading helps you with that. But you know what? I always say reading will take you more places than a jet airplane ever will. Ooh, I like that. Um, on that note, I'm definitely done with questions and things for today. We'll, we'll definitely make sure people know where to get your books and everything. Um, really happy to hear about uh, all your new projects and your ongoing success. It's always fun to talk to you. I'd also uh, like to thank the chat for hanging out today. We had a lively discussion all throughout, and uh, I hope everybody listening later really enjoyed the discussion. I am done for today. Um, Nicole, any last words? Thank you guys for having me. I love this crowd and, and just I, the people that I get to meet and you guys. And, um, you know, Daddy Warpig was somebody that really came out for me when I got canceled from Harper Collins and, uh, and Larry Korea said, Hey, I told you that there was a left-wing bias in publishing. And it was one of your tweets that really just suddenly rocked that book. And I'll tell you when I wrote that book and then they fired me from Harper Collins cause I said unsayable things in there. I didn't feel like I was going to win. I felt like my career was over and I felt like I was keying the boss's car on the way out the door, but it was the support of daddy war pig. And, and then the people that I found through here and not everybody liked me and some people do, but boy, I felt like I was done and I wasn't, and I'm always grateful and always appreciative of that. And at the end of the day, you guys and daddy war pig, you guys are the heroes. And I am so honored that I get to write stories for people like you. Thanks. And Daddy, Daddy Warpick, try and stay humble as you close out the show because cause, cause you, uh, you are awesome. All right. How can I not be humble with an audience as amazing and awesome as ours is? Um, I do want to thank our amazing and awesome audience for coming and uh, listening live to the show today. Um, and I want to thank everyone who will be listening later. Uh, just a reminder to the audience, you can catch us uh, live 
just about every Saturday. Uh, oh, yeah, we missed last week because it was my birthday, and uh, I wasn't doing this on my birthday. I uh, went and hung out with my family, and uh, then I went and watched Scream on my birthday. I still am pondering the wisdom of that, but it was a great birthday nonetheless. <laughs> so you can catch us just about every week. Uh, just about the same time on youtube.com slash geekgab. That is youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can catch us on the Google Play Store. You can catch us on the iTunes Store. And you can catch us on soundcloud.com to listen to us to the device of your choice or just on the web. We are available uh, and on as many places as we can be for your convenience. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.